Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined, of course, by my co-host, Jordan Climack. Jordan, rookie minicamp is underway. There are actual Browns players on the field uh, again in Berea, Ohio. It's made the NBA playoffs are going on at the same time. There's just so much, so much sports right now. Yeah, so much sports. I mean, it's finally, we finally got here, right? Like, this is the time of year where, like, you know, football is still ways to go. The NBA season's kind of dragging along. The NHL season dragged along this year with, you know, just teams playing the same team, like, every single night. Like, everything started to drag along. We needed to get to a point of the playoffs. Finally got here, so I'm glad. Uh, we got some NBA playoff action coming up this week. NHL going on right now. It's gambling season, baby. That it is. I do love the NBA playoffs. I do love the NHL playoffs uh, as well. I haven't watched any NHL games pretty much all season until the last week or so. And yeah, 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 it's just it's that's typically how it goes for sure. Yeah. Unlike the NFL and the NBA, I lock into hockey for about three weeks a year, but that's okay. Uh, On the flip side, however, with with football, we're locked in 52 weeks a year, Jordan. And and that includes this post-draft season where there's not a ton going on, but there is still some residual news that comes out about the rookies in particular. You know, you get them on the field for the first time at rookie minicamp. Everybody gets a chance to see them. And, you know, there's typically, you know, some updates that come out of that. And that was the case with the Browns as well. Finally got these guys, you know, in front of a a microphone as well for a little bit more of an extended period of time. So I think the place to start with, Brown's uh, rookie minicamp is with JOK because he was really the headliner story, uh, I think, so far for the Browns as far as he made it clear that he thinks his heart is 100% healthy. He's ready to go. He's ready to contribute to this team. He doesn't view it as a concern. The Browns don't view it as a a concern, and they want to move forward. And, And that, of course, was the story of why he fell in the draft. You know, down down to the Browns in in the second round when many people had him toward the top of their draft boards. But Jordan, what do you make out of JOK's initial comments? Well, so you know, just peel back the curtain for a second. Obviously, I um, you know, aside from this, I have an, an, another job. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not just this. So uh, it's yeah, not um, just the rebuild, Jordan. <laughs> no, no, man, I'm out here living life as well. But um, so for that show, um, producing uh, the next level on 850 ESPN Cleveland uh, Monday through Friday, and a couple of weeks ago we actually we had Andrew Barry on, um, friend of the show. Uh, you know, he gets along with us. We have him on, uh, you know, maybe like once a month or so. But um, the last time we had him on, it was post draft, and you know we kind of asked him about that whole thing of like, you know, the report came out a couple of days after the draft that you said I think it was a Schefter report of, you know, there was a parent heart issue with. Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. I, I, I'm trying to do that, by the way, just to like not fall into this lazy JOK thing. And yes, I just called you lazy. Yeah, that's exactly what and, I just did. All right, all right, that's okay. <laughs> Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. But yeah, so like that news came out, and um, so we asked Andrew Barry, like, hey, like, what at, at all? Like, did that play into your decision? Did you guys think about that? Like, and he was basically like, no, we didn't think it was a concern to us whatsoever. Like, and to the point that we traded up to get him. So that speaks to how much the Browns didn't see it as a concern. They tested out, you know, perfectly with all of the, you know, everything that they did. So, and then to hear uh, 
Jeremiah say the same thing about, you know, like, hey, like, I'm 100% ready to go. Like, this is a non-issue. I don't think it was – I don't think it's an issue, Henry. Um, I mean, we'll see how it plays out throughout his career. But to hear the Browns be so reassuring about it and then hear JOK himself be so reassuring about it, I, I that, that kind of did away with any worry for me. I don't know how you came out on that, but that's at least how I did. They cleared him, obviously, ahead of the draft. So, for me – ultimately that's that's all I can go on right obviously the Browns had their medical side of things take a look mm-hmm. and they they were comfortable making the selection and so I will uh, yeah I'll go along with that uh, ultimately at the end of the day I don't know what, what else really as an outsider you can do other than, than trust you know, the, the medical experts that they have on their side as far as their intel on Wusa Koromoa so yeah, I, I, to me, I, and I, I've seen the, I don't know, some rumblings about this as far as Twitter is scuttlebutt. concerned. Some, scuttlebutt. There's some scuttlebutt <laughs> that, that JOK doesn't look very big on the field. Jeremiah Wusakorambala doesn't look very yeah, big yeah. on the field. Uh, but I, I don't really make anything of that, Jordan. He played at, at 215 at Notre Dame, and I, I don't know what people expected. Yeah, he's not he's not 250 pounds. I feel like that was, uh, yeah, it was something everybody knew when they drafted him. However, that was, uh, of course, I, the biggest knock on him in the pre-draft process is, hey, he's not the prototypical size of an NFL linebacker. I don't think it's necessarily anything new, but also he didn't come in 10 or 15 pounds heavier than he played in college at Notre Dame. Right, and so you're basically saying that this kind of there, there's no level of concern with you in seeing his slender frame. I I kind of I don't know I don't I don't say I was concerned Henry, but just seeing him in pads next to NFL players and everything, I was kind of like, huh, he he looks smaller than he did in the Notre Dame uniform. Now, I don't know if you can take anything away from that if that even means anything in the long run. But again, I work with Gerard Cherry every day, three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots. And I showed him the picture today, and his immediate reaction was like, damn, like, what is his, like, what's his size and weight? I was like, 6'1", 215 to 220, somewhere around there. He's like, that's what I was at playing cornerback in the NFL. So I don't know if, like, that is a, like, kind of, I was kind of like, okay. I mean, the game has definitely been, you know, it's a different NFL today than it was, obviously, you know, 17 years ago or whatever it was. But I don't know. I don't want to say I'm concerned, Henry, but. I've been on this podcast saying I want him to spend majority of his time at linebacker. I think if he's going to do that, he might need to add some weight. And again, he's in an NFL team right now, an NFL training program. They're going to get his body right. Is it going to be enough to get him to add some muscle, add some weight before the start of the season? I don't know. But I certainly have faith that he'll be able to, you know, round himself out and throughout his career. Yeah, the reason for me it's not really a concern is twofold. I think the game is moving in that direction as far as lighter linebackers. And Mike Renner was on this show in the last episode talking about how there are plenty of NFL linebackers that are now playing at the weight that JOK is, you know, weighed in at at his pro day, 221. Darius Leonard plays at about that weight at this point, even though he he weighed more coming into the pre-draft process. And if Owusu-Koromoa is supposed to be the middle linebacker on this team. Yeah, it might worry me a little bit. But 
he's going to play weak side linebacker, even if he's you know in the linebacking core. And to me, what's so appealing about him is he can step up in the box and play that physical style while also backpedaling and, and succeed in coverage as well. And it, at his weight in college, he did a, a fine job coming up in the run game. He made explosive plays, tackles behind the line of scrimmage all the time. It never really felt like strength was an issue for him. And I, it just seems as though the game is always trending in that direction. It seems like, especially at the end of the year, the teams that are succeeding have lighter linebackers that they're deploying in coverage more so than they're using as physical players in the run game. I'm thinking of you know Devin White on the Bucks. As much as Browns fans hate him, Sorensen and the Chiefs is a little bit like that, is like that safety linebacker hybrid where he's up in the box sometimes, he's back other times. And you know those Broncos defenses back with Peyton Manning had very light linebackers as well, and they were very successful as a defense. So I don't mind the weight piece of it necessarily. And from everybody that, that we talked to, it's like, yeah, maybe it's not ideal, but also it, it does go with the trend as well. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's definitely a different NFL than it was, you know, years ago. I, I, I'm not saying I'm concerned by it. it. was just maybe something that I didn't necessarily, maybe it was just information I just didn't have. I just hadn't seen him up close like that. I hadn't heard other people talk about his size and, and anything like that. But again, like you said, we're going to use him in nickel coverage. I mean, you know, it's the old thing. It's like you put on weight, then do you lose speed? And I think we drafted him because of his versatility when it comes to speed. So you don't want to put on too much weight and lose what you had from a running standpoint. So there's that that goes into it. But it's funny just watching some of the highlight um, packages I did and getting ready for the draft. And then after we drafted him, all, and of course, they're highlight packages, so they're not going to show you, like, bad film. You, you got to search the bad highlights, the lowlights for that. But, you know, Henry, and seeing some of the highlights, like a lot of it, that like he was coming, like you talked about him, He's coming up in the running. He's popping running backs. He's popping guys behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, he had some big hits there at Notre Dame. So I'm not too worried about it. It's you know it, it, what it is is it, it's rookie minicamp. You know we've reached that kind of dead period again. You know we have you know we talked about like three months leading up, and then you get a draft, and then after the draft you have about two or three weeks, and then you get the schedule, and then after schedule you're kind of just waiting. For training camp right and that's kind of where we are so we got to kind of create narratives like hey what can we talk about what can we talk about here all of a sudden we find ourselves talking about Owusu Koromoa's body and his slender frame ultimately this we might be looking back at this at next year and like remember when we were like for some reason had a podcast talking about Jeremiah uh, Owusu Koromoa's frame and it just might not matter at, at, at the end of the day it might not and Sure, maybe we'll be looking back on this and it will seem silly, but that, you know, that, hey, that's what we do on the rebuild. It's May. We're, we're talking about, you know, the storylines <laughs> that, that come up uh, as few and far between as they may be. And I I don't think your concern is entire, entirely unfounded either, right? right? Like, that's the whole challenge with these kind of tweener position types in the NFL and why they sometimes fall in, in the draft is – you have to use them in ways that are going to set them up to succeed. Because if you try to use JOK in the traditional format, he probably wouldn't be as successful as how I think the Browns are going to use him, which is that linebacker safety hybrid a, a little bit. How uh, Almost how Ronnie Harrison at times is deployed as somebody that's in the box and, and then back in coverage. So 
as the Browns look to go heavier into the DB packages, I, I, I think it can work. But also there, there is a reason why you know, NFL GMs can avoid these player types as well. Uh, you mentioned Ronnie Harrison, and it's funny that you did because I've had people tell me, people I trust their opinion who know football in and out, and I've heard people tell me, like, hey, Jeremiah Wusukormo was drafted to be Ronnie Harrison's replacement. And I kind of at first was like, hmm, you know, I don't know. I think redraft him to be more of a linebacker. But hearing you say that, in that kind of hybrid linebacker safety role, to your point, Joe Woods kind of used Ronnie Harrison in that role last year. I don't know. Can you do you hear that from me and kind of get the same opinion that hey maybe you know I don't see a, a long term deal for Ronnie Harrison in the future. Maybe Owusu Kormo will be that guy to step in when he's done. I think it's a legitimate possibility for sure. Ronnie Harrison has one year left on his deal, and I, obviously with some injury history as well. I think the Browns probably are in a little bit wait and see mode. They probably want to see what they have in Grant Delpit before making a decision like that. However, John Johnson's clearly a, a long-term piece of, of that secondary, right? So you throw in Grant Delpit, you've already got two safeties. So does it make sense to bring back a third safety into that group at a price tag, you know, that Ronnie Harrison's going to command next summer? It's not going to be anything crazy by any means, but they just drafted another safety. Uh, LeCount, I believe is how you say his name, uh, out of Georgia. LeCount, LeCount. Yeah. Is it LeCount? Okay, I, I pronounced it LeCount, and it LeCount. Mr. Paso uh, pronounced it LeCount, T, I believeve, on our podcast. I've, I've, me off. I've heard it pronounced to me by Brown's people as LeCount, so I'm going to trust that. All right, we'll go with LeCount for now on this podcast, and we'll correct <laughs> ourselves later if we end up being wrong. But they just drafted him, and end of the draft type of player, not necessarily somebody that's going to, you know, is, you can count on to make this roster and be a key contributor, but if he does contribute and, or if Grant Delpit looks like the player, the Browns thought that they were going to get last season, Ronnie Harrison starts to be a little expendable, especially if you have a guy in Jeremiah Usa who could flex to that position when you want to go with three safeties, for example, like Joe Woods is known to do so often. So, that, to me, frankly, makes a, a lot of sense as far as the long-term plan with him. And I think that is part of the appeal, right, is if it, it works out where Ronnie Harrison's back on this team or LeCount's there and they don't need Usa Koromo to step into that safety position quite so much, that's okay. He can play offside, you know, offside linebacker very effectively. And then if you do need him, he can also do that as well. And, and that's the appeal of a versatile player. So here's the one thing that, you know, I told you, I, like, I'm not concerned about the size, the heart, apparent heart issue, any of that. The one thing that does concern me, though, Henry, I will say this. We've seen in the past with rookies, like Cam Irving is a guy who comes to mind who we drafted and then tried him, like, at every single position on the offensive line when he was a rookie. That I do worry a little bit about trying to throw too much at him too soon, right? Like, it's hard enough to come in as a, someone out of college and – adapt to the NFL game, learn like, hey, this is how we practice here in the NFL. This is how we carry ourselves as NFL players on top of trying to learn a playbook, on top of trying to learn a new defensive system. And then if you sprinkle in him trying to learn the, you know, the, the role of the safety on the defense or you, or the role of the, the outside linebacker, like if I just, I just worry that we're going to possibly throw too much terminology at him too soon with trying to adapt to the NFL and everything like that. Like you've seen rookies struggle with that in the past. 
And I just don't want him to be another one of those guys. But I can, I could see it because it does seem like we are going to try him at multiple spots. And we should. I just don't want it to be too much too early. A uh, fair point, too. And I think you saw a little bit of that with, with Isaiah Simmons, the player type that, that Jeremiah Wusakoromo got compared to a lot in Arizona last year. Simmons seemed like he was, wasn't quite comfortable ever in that Cardinals defense. I think what might alleviate that concern among Browns fans is that Awusakoromoa did this in college. Simmons had the capability of uh, doing different, you know, playing different positions in college, but he really played linebacker at Clemson. Whereas Awusakoromoa played in the slot very often at Notre Dame. He was in backpedaling in coverage very often. He even lined up at defensive end. They called his position Rover. And so, which is a, you know, a term you see thrown around college football with several different types of teams, but he was yeah. used to winding up all over the place. So my hope is that he is accustomed to that. And so the idea of learning multiple positions is not something that's foreign to him and not something that's really going to bother him. And also coming out of a, a, an elite program in Notre Dame with an NFL type head coach in Brian Kelly, I'm not hugely concerned about it. However, if four weeks into the season, you hear some rumblings about that, I'm not going to be entirely caught off guard either. Right. I'm not even saying I'm concerned about it. I'm just saying about all the other things, like the heart condition, the current slider frame. Like those, to me, take a back seat to this in terms of worry. Like if I'm, if I'm doing a worry scale one to three, it's going to be the multiple positions trying to learn that. Then you know the, the you know the slender frame and then the heart issue. I just think that's hard. Like I'm seeing all these other things talked about as possible issues with him. I'm not seeing the trying to learn multiple positions as a rookie talked about enough. So I just wanted to bring it up there. It was a point I I hadn't heard brought up yet by anybody really uh, on the brown side of things, and so I think it was uh, a smart one uh, to bring up in something that is definitely worth monitoring going forward throughout training camp, throughout perhaps the first couple of weeks of the season, even uh, in addition to this, this off season period. So something else Jordan worth monitoring is an injury that, that was reported as part of rookie mini camps as well. And that's Tony Fields, uh, the Browns inside linebacker draft pick out of West Virginia has a foot injury causing him to miss rookie mini camp. And Kevin Stefanski says it's a couple week thing. Not to be too concerned. He's not going to miss training camp uh, as of right now. But Jordan, Tony Fields is going to have to compete, I think, for a roster spot at at linebacker at at this point. Given all the safety depth uh, on this team and you 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 throw JOK into the linebacker mix, of course, along with uh, free agent addition Anthony Walker, the guys coming back from last year's team like Jacob Phillips, Taki Taki, and... All of a sudden, I, I'm not sure Tony Fields is in a great position to make this team, especially if he's not healthy at the start of training camp. Yeah, I totally agree. And like looking at this defense, there's two positions right now as it stands that I just think are crowded. I'm not saying that they're like, you know, we're seven guys deep at one position. I just think they're crowded in terms of trying to find a roster spot, that being linebacker and defensive tackle, obviously. It's like, Henry, like, by the time we're doing this podcast, 
you you might have gotten a text from the Browns asking if you can come in and try out a defensive tackle. It seems like they're just taking open auditions at that position. But so like I think that's a position too where you might see maybe a surprise cut someone that you didn't really think would be cut going into the you know this off season end up getting cut just because of the people that drafted the undrafted rookies that they brought in in that spot. And I think it's kind of the same at linebacker. I mean, just talk about it right now. You got Anthony Walker, you got Mac Wilson, you got Taki Taki, you got Phillips. You got Owusu Koromoa. Now you re-signed Malcolm Smith. Like some, mm-hmm. some one or two of those guys are not going to end up making the scheme. And it'll be interesting to see who. And again, Tony Fields. You add to that conversation as well. It's just there's there's a lot of moving pieces that I think are going to happen at both those positions. And I wouldn't be surprised if we were we're doing a podcast down the line talking about like, hey, I didn't see that guy getting cut. But it makes sense now. Look, I know a lot of Browns fans like Mac Wilson, and it's hard not to like him with his love for the city, with his attitude toward the team and on social media, all of those things. But you start looking at this roster and you start stacking up Tony Fields and some of the other guys you mentioned, you know, Malcolm Smith, Jacob Phillips, et cetera. There is not a place for all of these guys on the roster, and Mac Wilson could be the odd man out uh, just based on the fact that it seems like the front office has invested in some other guys at this point. And with Tony Fields as well being a new draft pick, sometimes I feel like those guys get the benefit of the doubt over a guy who's been on the team for two or three years. And so uh, that's, that's the name that stood out to me when you were running through them where I thought, Oh boy, if Tony Fields is going to make this team, I, I think Mac Wilson could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. I, I, I totally see what you're saying about Mac Wilson. Um, I'm one of those people that's kind of the opposite. It's like, dude, I don't, like, you're, you're more productive, active on Instagram and Twitter than you are on the field at this point, basically. And so, like, yeah, I don't know. I, would, I, I think that there's a, a possibility that he could be that guy as well. Just because if you talked about I don't think – I don't know if I'm ahead. I don't think Andrew Barry was here when we drafted him, was he? I want to say he's with the Eagles that season. I could be wrong, but I don't think he was. And we know how that plays out in the NFL, right? Like, it's like if you're not my guy, I don't really feel a sense of obligation to you. If you are my guy, you're probably going to see – and then I'm talking, talking about guy in terms of who we drafted. You know, got these people, there's there's ego that plays in this. We've got to be the guy that I drafted, we want to see pan out. So you're going to get a little bit more chances from those guys. We'll see how it plays out. Health is going to be a big thing as well, Henry. Like, if, if we get to a point where Fields just can't get healthy – then he might just be the guy that you know ends up not making this roster. It's always something to keep in mind with those back end of the roster players, or back end of the draft, excuse me, is what I meant to say, is that just because you get drafted by the team, especially a, a good team like the Browns with not a lot of holes on it, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the, that team coming out of training camp. And so that's why I thought it was worth discussing. And uh, – Mac Wilson, to me as well at this point, it has had a lot of opportunities to prove himself on the field. Regardless of it, the the front office's original opinion of him, he's gotten the opportunity, and to me he has not produced at a, at a starting linebacker level, which I think is why you saw him get replaced toward the, the end of the season last year. And, and that's why he's back, but I think in a, in a little bit of a, a tenuous uh, circumstance. Jordan, another thing that you brought up as part of the linebacker position was the the defensive tackle position as well is going to be a a battle. And and that's the other thing that is worth keeping an eye on here. And the reason 
it's already starting in rookie minicamp is because the Browns have invested a lot in this position, despite letting Larry Ogan, Joby go, despite letting Sheldon Richardson go, they are bringing in a lot of names to compete for those positions. They of course signed Malik Jackson. They drafted Tommy Tokiai out of Ohio state who Mike Renner loved the PFF guys thought he was fantastic. And that the, really the only reason people are down on Tokiai is because there wasn't a lot of games with him at Ohio state. He really only played seven games as the the hundred percent starter there, but they, they were all over him as a great pick. And then the Browns also invested quite a bit in Marvin Wilson as an undrafted free agent out of Florida state who had elite pedigree and had some issues at Florida state and ultimately didn't end up producing the way people thought, but is a, is a top tier talent. So there's been some other free agent additions that they're going to bring into camp as well. Malik McDowell, so many different guys, Jordan, it feels like are being thrown out in this defensive tackle position. How do you feel about the strategy, uh, 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 the way the Browns are going about this as far as throwing a a lot of names at that position and seeing what sticks? Yeah, it's kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall type phase that we're at with uh, this Browns defensive tackle room. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. You mentioned, too, um, that they did away with uh, Sheldon Richardson. And I'll go back to that Andrew Barry interview that we had a couple of weeks ago. And we asked him straight up, like, hey, would you welcome Sheldon back? Has there been conversation? And he basically was like, with open arms, we'd welcome him back. Like, we valued what he did, what he was able to do on the field and off the field for this team. And, you know, we've seen teams um, like the Cowboys or a team that comes Somebody, there's another defensive tackle that was signed by someone recently. So, like, seeing these teams that needed defensive tackles, and, and, and it's not a vast majority of teams that do, but to see the ones that do need defensive tackles going a different route from Sheldon Richardson, I think this very well could be a situation where we see him kind of go out, almost like that Richard Higgins type situation for earlier, right? Where it's like, kind of like, hmm, you know, we heard what the offer was. I don't know if he's going to take it. Goes out, tests the market. Market isn't quite what he thought. End up coming back. I do think that's a real possibility. Sheldon still. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, if he comes back into this room, I mean, there are a lot of bodies. I love Togiai as well. I really, really, really like Marvin Wilson. And obviously, the Browns do, giving him the type of contract as an undrafted rookie that they do. I want to say it was the most ever guaranteed money to an undrafted player. And I mean, so there's confidence in him. There's con- I mean, we still have some billings. Jordan Elliott, a guy that was drafted last year, we haven't really seen because he was hurt last year. So there are so many questions, Henry. I, can't, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I had like a handful of guys that I think are going to pan out and, and then maybe one or two that may, you know, maybe on the back burner out. But I can't really say that. Like, I think that this is going to, I think this will sort itself out throughout training camp. Um, like, this is the one position battle that I'm really, really going to be following closely because we just don't know right now. There's so many bodies in that room. We got to see who can produce. The other thing that's going to be key too is people staying healthy in this room. Because if you can't stay healthy in this room, next guy's up, right? There's so many guys behind you that can come up and say like, "Yo, I was I I was healthy. You weren't healthy. I produced." So that's kind of how it is. So it again, super super interesting to see how this plays out. This is really the one position on a team that I think we still need to sort out versus all the rest of them. And it'll happen over time again throughout training camp. But right now. I mean, there's so many bodies that I just can't sit here and tell you for certain who I think will be, you know, the two starting defensive tackles for this team come September. I like the approach, though, 
I do because with Miles Garrett and Clowney, you have to figure that inside there's going to be a lot of opportunity. However, you're also going to want to move guys around, like we've talked about with, with Clowney. Even with Garrett at some points, maybe you line him up inside from time to time, but especially with Clowney. And so I like bringing in these guys where, hey, they're going to be part of the rotation. They don't necessarily have a contract or the expectations, the pedigree to demand you know, a certain percentage of the snap count. And so you get some value that way uh, because you, you don't necessarily need to invest heavy dollars in the position. And then secondly, these guys are going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups when they are in the game. And so seeing, hey, who can take advantage of this? Is it a veteran like Malik Jackson, who still has some pretty good pass rush numbers? Is it a guy like Marv Wilson, who has tons of athletic potential, but needs to get his body in the right kind of shape if he's going to compete in this room? How about Tommy Togi, a guy who has a fantastic bull rush? Yeah, something that he can really hang his hat on. Well, maybe that works really well in the one-on-one matchups he's going to get against the guards. I, you know, getting these players with various strengths and weaknesses, I feel like really lends itself to creating a nice rotation in that defensive tackle and is going to allow you to get a lot of value out of that without spending very much. And so that's what really intrigues me uh, about this approach to the position. And ultimately, I do think it, there's a good chance it works out for the Browns. And I still haven't mentioned Andrew Billings. You brought him up. Thank you for bringing him up because mm-hmm. I like Andrew Billings a lot. And he didn't play last year. However, I think he might have the inside track out of all these guys for the starting position. I, I really liked him coming out of school. And so I think he has a potential to shine this season next to the likes of Clown and Garrett. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on the Andrew Billings point. I think that just from a veteran standpoint, um, you know, having familiarity with the division as well, I think those are all factors that are going to play into it. How, I, I want to get your take on how, because you talked about rotation and the possibility of a rotation between, you know, this defensive tackle uh, room. How do you view that? Because, you know, you could use the old adage like, hey, if you don't have, if you, if you don't have, you know, you're doing a rotation, that just really means that you don't have starting caliber talent that you can sit out here and say, like, these are two guys every single night, right? Like, it's kind of like that whole – goes back to that whole thing. Like, if you're going into a season with quarterback battle, really you don't have a quarterback. And kind of like in baseball, how if you're platooning at right field, hey, you really don't have a right fielder, right? Like, you know what I mean? I think that is – I don't know how I view that, I guess. Like, because I would like to sit here and say, like, we have two guys that are going to be dominant and they're going to be our two guys barring injury week in and week out. It's not college. I, I see your point on that. Whereas you know you don't have eighty-five scholarship players where you can afford a rotation, and it doesn't you know, and you can keep all of these guys. Not all of these guys are going to make the team. Obviously, you know whether it's you know forty tackles, five D tackles that are ultimately on this roster at the end of the day. It can't be everyone. That being said, I don't mind a, a rotation at defensive tackle, in particular in the situation like I brought up, or maybe you've got a guy that's. A good pass rusher who can really be useful on third down. And frankly, that guy might be clowny uh, on the inside. And, but maybe you've got a guy like that and where you've got somebody more uh, on the first several downs who you can rely on a little bit more in the run game and, and to be that more traditional defensive tackle anchor inside. And I just don't think defensive tackle is all that valuable of a position, to be honest. I, I, I'm glad the Browns have invested at outside corner. I'm glad they've invested at edge because I think those are the positions with the most value. And so I wouldn't want to have a rotation there. And it's part of the reason I've 
still not, I'm going to continue to harp on the fact that I'm not super high on the Tack McKinley signing is because I don't think you can count on him out there. And hopefully they'll be able to count on, on Clowney um, in most of those situations. But I'd rather, if I'm going to have a rotation, I'd rather it be at defensive tackle out of, you know, of those positions and linebacker a little bit as well as you get into the coverage versus run stopping capabilities. But I, I just given where the Browns have to allocate their resources financially here, to me, if you're going to have a rotation, this is the position that it makes sense to do. Also, Andrew Billings or one of these other guys could be a standout in camp, and then you don't need a rotation. It's just a lot of unproven bodies in there right now, which is why I lean that direction. Yeah, you kind of took the words right off my mouth right like i understand that's a rotation but it's one of those things where like i say that to say this is that like if you are going to have a rotation you mentioned the two positions the linebacker and defensive tackle those are the two that i'm really kind of fine with because again kind of almost devalued in in a sense in in today's game and then to your point too like i mean not only through training camp henry but even as the season goes on if you have all these bodies in that defensive tackle room there's still a chance that you know one guy is just going to be way more productive than someone else and say like, okay, well, he wants playing time over him now. I always go back to the Ohio State situation last year um, at running back when, you know, you have Master Teague and Trey Sermon, and they're both kind of splitting carries throughout the year. We're, we're both kind of sitting there waiting for like, okay, who's going to be the guy to take this position by the horns? Ultimately, ended up being Trey Sermon. He ended up being a guy going forward. So that's certainly a possibility as, as well. I just wanted to get your take on that possibility of a rotation from that no-stack position. It would be great if one of those guys steps up and ultimately makes that a moot point. However, I'm not going to be super opposed to it. It'll be part of, I think, the training camp battle as well. We often talk about positions and focus on the battles there. However, there's, of course, flexibility in how many guys you keep at each position. And so if the Browns don't have a reliable defensive tackle or if they do want to just you know, really get that rotation as far as mixing up different skill sets, that means somebody else has got to, you know, come off the board somewhere else on the on this roster, and that that interplay of how many guys the Browns want to keep at each position and keep active on Sundays as well, you know, off the practice squad too, will be something that'll be very fascinating for this team as the roster has gotten a lot more talented in these last couple of years, and then they're going to have to start making those decisions. And speaking of that, I, I think that's a good transition into the final thing we wanted to touch on here, which is you know, Anthony Schwartz, because yeah. there is you know, there's definitely some competition at the receiver position as well in terms of who's going to dress, you know, on Sundays with Donovan Peoples-Jones, with Daryl Hodge, with Anthony Schwartz. And there should be room for everybody. However, it could be one of those guys that, that falls off if there is a higher priority at other positions. And Anthony Schwartz has come up quite a bit in this post-draft season, if you will. He's training with Jarvis Landry, which is great. A lot of the concerns with him are about his lack of polished uh, route running. However, on the flip side of things, Jordan, there were also some concerning notes out of camp. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, I, I guess so. Apparently, you know, we we talked about it on this podcast, right? Like the the thing about him that was kind of like a red flag, if you will, if there was one with a guy with four two speed. Which I, I mean, I'll take the four two speed over anything any day. But nonetheless, kind of thing was like, eh, not again, not polished in route running and uh, didn't really have the best hands. And I mean, obviously, 
And if you're listed as a wide receiver and, you know, people see, hey, he doesn't have the best hand, you know, that can be a major red flag. But at the same time, I think that's always kind of the knock, if you will, on, on these critter guys that come out of college. It's always like, yeah, well, you don't have the, you know, you don't have the hands, you might have the speed. Well, there's a lot of guys that have the hands and don't have the speed. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes one way or the other. I think ultimately I'm not too concerned about it. Because again, it's it's the first day in camp, and there's so much so much time to work this out. First time working, you know, especially him coming over from um, Auburn and where he lived and everything. Like he came on one of our shows, said he's never even seen snow before. So like it's a big transition for him moving across the um you know up here to Ohio, and trying to have to figure everything out as he goes along the line. So I I I look at it more like almost like first day jitters, like kind of like hey like. One of those things where like you wanted to do so good that it almost backfired against you. That's that kind of leaned towards that. And you know, I said it today and I had someone push back on me, like, well, if he can't be ready for rookie minicamp, then how is he gonna be ready for week one against Caesar? Like that's totally completely different. Totally, totally different circumstances. Again, plenty of time. You talked about it, Jarvis Landry took him under his wing, which left him Jarvis, by the way, man. You go back to just the day that they made that trade to get Jarvis Landry, the day the culture here started to turn around, and I will stick by that because he does things like this, goes out of his way to be with the guys. You don't see Odell reaching out to this guy, taking him under his wing. No, it's Jarvis all the time. He's that true leader. So I'd love to see that. And if he's got guys like Jarvis in his corner telling him how to be a pro, how to go about his work and all that, Anthony Schwartz is going to be fine. So I – have expressed some of my my long-term doubts about uh, Schwartz, and those still are there for me. To me, hands is a huge piece of this, uh, Jordan. I I much would rather have a receiver with sure hands with not quite the speed. I feel like Higgins is one of those types. And you bring up you know Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, both have extremely strong, reliable hands as Browns receivers, and I think that's part of the appeal for them, frankly. Uh, however, as I said, I share those concerns, and – I also share the concern that Schwartz has some issues tracking the ball downfield, which is part of the hands issues. It's not only just actually holding on to the football. You have to be able to track the ball in the air so you can get your hands in the right spot, of course. So that's where my long-term concerns are with that. However, backing up, you're right that this is – it's day one of minicamp. I'm not judging this guy off day one. He has a long way to go as a receiver and he's a project a little bit in that sense and something i I, i've been thinking about over these last uh, couple weeks at post draft here is i keep seeing browns fans saying well anthony schwartz is going to stretch the field he's going to stretch the field vertically against the chiefs he's going to be a downfield option and i think browns fans are a little bit misguided in in that i think at first anthony schwartz is going to stretch the field horizontally for the Browns in a way that we haven't really seen out of the Browns receiving core. They they've run Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham on some of those jet sweep actions and, and things like that. But Anthony Schwartz yeah, excelled kind of- at those in college. And I think that's really where in his 10 to 15 snaps to start out his rookie campaign, that's where I see him making the impact is really stretching that defense horizontally and being in motion a lot, keeping guys flat footed yeah. and allowing Baker to go down the field to Odell Beckham, to Jarvis Landry in the middle of the field, 10, 15 yards down to his tight ends even. So that's really how I think he's going to be used at first. And then I think the vertical route tree can develop over time. I I just think 
I, I haven't seen that point being made uh, across uh, the Browns discourse so far. It, it feels like everybody's talking about him vertically where I'm the thing I'm most intrigued about with him is in fact, the, the other side of things, the horizontal aspect of his game. Yeah, that's a good point. And everything that you just pointed out to me, like screams chiefs and how they use Tyreek Hill, right. You know, kind of using that horizontal stretch. And then you talked about the guys getting open over the middle of the field, Well, that's Travis Kelsey from chiefs. So that's just kind of how it works. I, I totally agree with you. I, and, when, and I think I've been on record saying this and, the way that I think he's going to help out against the Chiefs, and again, that's not even necessarily on on game day that Sunday. It's going to be seeing that type of speed, this defense seeing that type of speed in practice every day. You know, it's one thing to watch it on film, Henry, to see it in front of you like the Browns did last year against the Chiefs. They just couldn't compete with that speed on the outside. Now you're going to see it every single day. So I just think from a scout team standpoint, like anytime you can have a guy with that kind of speed on your roster, just – you're going to find a way. And look, that's the other thing, too. I trust Ken Stavansky to find creative ways to get him the ball. And, then, and the other thing, too, Henry, is like we talked about, um, you know, maybe he doesn't have the best hands. And then said, well, yeah, Higgins doesn't have that kind of speed, but he does have those hands. If you're a guy like Higgins and you don't have that speed, you absolutely 1,000% have to have the hands, right? Because you're going to have to make catches in traffic. You're going to have to make catches under the rest because you're not going to have that breakaway speed. Schwartz has got to majority of the time the ball is going to be getting thrown to him, Henry, he's going to be wide open because it's going to be because he blew by a guy because he, you know, was able to get past a guy at the line of scrimmage and just kind of in open field. So I'm not as worried about that. And again, it's so young, you know, it, it, we kind of, we might sound foolish in the, in, you know, down the line, just talking about these guys so early on, but again, on field football that we haven't seen in a long time and we have to react to it. Well, and is it the most important thing in the world? No. But when Kevin Stefanski was talking at the podium the other day, I did think it was interesting that he brought up the fact that, hey, it's nice to have a, a full offseason with these guys. It's nice to be able to start implementing things in person, start teaching early or on with, you know, so they have something built up when they go into training camp. And then when they get the full roster, there for training camp. It'll be a little bit more of a normal offseason, which the Browns didn't get last year. And so I think that piece is is something that, that will work in the Browns' favor because you have confidence in their coaches, as you said. Yeah, and that's mentioned too. I mean, think about last year. The Browns didn't have this scenario last year, being able to get these guys on the field as early as they did. They still had success. I mean, think about a guy like Jed Wills, Henry, who, you know, he's right tackled out. Down. I, I know you can say, oh, well, Tua was in left, so he was technically his, you know, blind side, which whatever. The bottom line is he had to learn a new position in the NFL and had not have the offseason that he did and have the success that he did as a rookie. Like, Stefanski to have these guys in there as early as he as he does now, like, I mean, that's just going to do the, a lot of benefit for these guys moving forward. And then we'll see how it plays out. I, again, trust in Stefanski, trust in Jerry, I trust in these players that they're going to buy into what they're preaching, and we're going to see how it plays out on the field. It should allow for a lot of development, which is great because although this is a very strong roster for the Browns, they've still got a lot of youth and can use that development. So right. all exciting things in Browns land here in the middle of May. Still not going to be football for a little while, but that does not mean there is not things to talk about. So we will continue to bring up Brown's coverage to you on this podcast, both Jordan and I and whatever guests we may have on will be continuing to deliver you guys Brown's content 
As I've said on the last couple of shows, Browns fans, a reminder, if you leave a review on this show, drop your Twitter handle in there and you can win a free six-pack of Coors Light. New sponsor of the show. Get yourself a free six-pack of Coors Light today. Subscribe, leave a review. It's real easy. Jordan, until next week, I think we just have two words for Browns fans, like always. Go Browns! <laughs>